Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war here soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. Now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook. A day late, a dollar short, but still going to bring you hot takes and everything we've got here on on a Wednesday evening. Yeah, it's going to be some fun, you know. But you know, sometimes life gets in the way, and you know that, that's another case this week. It, it did happen again, Scott. Part of part of being the dad of a newborn, uh, things pop up, and uh, this week was was Scotty's two month checkup, uh, and with that came a couple different shots that uh, surprise, surprise, she didn't like, and so uh, did not feel great. She didn't feel great last night, so uh, didn't feel comfortable leaving all that on Haley and um, being unavailable for an hour and a half. So. I uh, did have to push it back one night, but I think it's a good thing because it gave us a chance to kind of take in, um, you know, the Texans roster moves. We got a chance to see the Astros finish the sweep there uh, in Boston this week. And so it, it gave us, you know, a little bit of a finality uh, to some of the things we want to talk about here today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, it, it gives, you know, chance to you know look at some things i i've you noticed some you know some takes here on you know sports radio that we're going to bring up and also you know to kind of flesh out the show that you know we were kind of bring to you we talked golf movies last week today we're talking baseball movies and i think that's going to be hopefully the driver of our show here yeah and before we get too far into it you know scott and i were having a conversation about some of the movies uh, throughout the week. And and Scott tried to disparage um, what is one of my just guilty pleasure baseball movies in, in Major League 3, Back to the Minors. And so as, as we talk about favorite movies, we've got to keep in mind, I'm going to have just a nostalgic love for that movie because I wasn't allowed to watch Major League 1 until, I don't know, probably high school or something like that. And then... I had seen Major League Two. I thought this is really stupid, and then Major League Three was fantastic to me compared to Major League Two. 
And so I thought it was a very fun movie. It was a great movie. I owned it. I watched it all the time. And then, you know, as you become an adult, you come to realize this is not a beloved sequel. And, um, you know, I take a lot of flack for my love of, of that movie. But, I, you know, I think a lot of the problems that Scott had with it were very easily explainable. Um, I did mention a few problems. There's some plot holes, and there's some plot holes with the second movie as well, as, as we kind of pointed out. I mean, um, I think the big thing, but Scott Bakula as an actor, I, I like some of his stuff, but he's got a particular lane, and I don't know that comedy's his lane. Oh, he was in I'll that lane that. in Major League Three. He was in the lane. I believe that he was a a grizzled former veteran bouncing around the independent leagues who got a chance to manage. I, I believed that. I was in. You also question how Roger Dorn became uh, the owner of the Twins. You know, it's stated right there in the first movie. They don't have any high-priced talent. They just have high-priced, and that's Roger Dorn, right? So, okay, guy's got a lot of money. He already bought a team one time. Uh, you know, it didn't go well for him. Now he's, he's reinvested his money. He hit a boom. Uh, you know, let's, let's assume that he, uh, you know, invested in like some, some military, uh, some, some military technology. Then, you know, America goes to Iraq and boom, that technology expands. Now he's got oil money. Now he's buying the Minnesota twins. Yeah. It's all adding up. You know, Tim, actually the, the, my favorite scene in that movie was not him as a manager. My favorite scene in that movie was the frozen ball. Oh, it's a great. Isn't that great? <laughs> I mean, just, you know, this, there, this guy is lambast the ball. It's just a t- lazy pop out to the third base. And the umpire's like, no. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, there are some scenes in that movie. You know, the guy who makes that movie, I think, is um, the guy that has Dick Clark disease. I'm trying to think, uh, Ted uh, McKinley, what was his name? The one who was the, manager, the major league manager? Oh, yeah, Ted McKinley. Yeah, he never ages. Like he, He's like, because I remember uh, the first movie I saw him in was Revenge of the Nerds. And, you know, that was like late 70s, early 80s. You know, and here he is, you know, playing, you know, he's just playing this absolute over-the-top, you know, horrible manager. Um, yeah, it was... That that part of the movie was pretty good, you know. Major League Two had some scenes in it too, but okay, we're just gonna as, first of all, yeah. Walter Goggins as Billy Downtown Anderson was one of the most iconic roles. It's iconic. I can't see him as anything other than downtown. When I see him, I see him in Vice Principals. I see him in any of the. Uh, see him. I saw him in uh, an episode of Big Bang Theory. I'm watching the other day. I'm like, oh, it's Downtown Anderson. Like as I see it right away. I think he is probably more famous. I think he was in the, uh, not the commish, the other one, uh, the shield. I think he had a regular role in that, in that show might've been a bit, tad bit more iconic, you know, probably in, in, in his eyes, but you know, you do if, what you if do. If I was right? ever to meet him, like if I was ever like to meet him in public, I literally would be like, Oh my God, it's downtown Anderson. Like, Oh my God, it's, it's him. And he'd probably look at me like a moron, but I don't care. Like, it was fantastic. And then you had the guy, uh, Doc Wingate, who couldn't throw above 65 miles an hour. And they were like, oh, the uh, the radar gun's broken. Like, oh, no, it's not. It's an old police uh, it's an old police radar gun. It doesn't pick up anything below 65. <laughs> you're telling me this guy's throwing below 65? 
It reminds me of uh, old Doug Jones, you know, with the Astros back in the uh, late '80s, early '90s. You know, the changeup specialist. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you lead off. We're gonna give each of us three movies. I'm gonna let you have your first pick. Just baseball movies. Baseball movies only. I, you know, first pick right off the bat. Um, I, I think I'm gonna take Bull Durham. I think uh, as someone who worked in minor league baseball, it is the most realistic movie there is in terms of life in the minor leagues and and having everything kind of ripped away from you so quickly the way that Crash Davis did um, or just being stuck in the wrong situation at the wrong time or playing the wrong position in the wrong organization. Um, Yeah, I I think the, the, the movie hits home. It's funny. It's full of heart. And, you know, I, I think Kevin Costner as an athlete is one of the most believable things that Hollywood has ever put together. I mean, whether it's golf or baseball, uh, I even had an idea for a bowling movie starring Kevin Costner um, that I would have liked to have pitched to Hollywood. Never got a chance. But either way, Costner, I'll take it. Um, first pick overall is going to be Bull Durham. I like that pick. You know, there's only one thing I can nitpick with that movie. And when you can only nitpick really one thing. So you remember the iconic scene where where, uh, Crash Davis goes out and tells him to hit the mascot? Yeah. So that's on the first pitch of the at-bat. It's a new hitter. First pitch of the at-bat, he hits the mascot. That's ball one. And then the next, very next pitch, low and outside, in the strike zone, but barely, swings and misses, strikeout. Now, by my count, that's strike one. They jumped ahead. They yeah, jumped they, they, ahead. they jumped ahead. But very, very nitpick. I, I, I love, though, I mean, you know, the just imparting wisdom, you know, from Crash Davis. You know, you, you got the – and then, of course, you have, uh, you know, Susan Sarandon kind of playing the same kind of, you know, role where they're both giving him, you know, alternate advice, you know, messing him up or making him pitch like he's Fernando Valenzuela. I mean, it was just wearing a garter, you know, in the game. I mean, it, it's – it, it is a classic film. Um, so if we switch over to my first pick, you mentioned it. My first pick is always Major League because this is my, I, I, it's my go-to for individual quotes. I mean, my favorite quote, whenever you have an old guy on a team that sucks, I just go back to that. Oh, Jake Taylor, he was an all-star in Boston, wasn't he? Yeah, then he had problems with his knees, went to the Mexican Leagues. Wish we would have had him two years ago. We did. Oh, four years ago then. <laughs> I mean, it's just just classic, you know, the first meeting in the boardroom when they're sitting there. And here are the guys we're going to invite to camp. And and they're sitting there looking at I haven't heard of half these guys. The ones I have heard of are way past their prime. And then general manager, most of these guys never had a prime. Wait a minute. This guy's dead. Oh, him off <laughs> I mean, and then of course, Bob Euchre, who is a Hall of Fame announcer of his own right, a real Hall of Fame announcer playing Harry Doyle. It just doesn't get that much better. I mean, just the little one-liners that he throws in. I actually worked one into a conversation, you know, Tim and I had last, you know, last Friday when we were both following the Astros game where they did score one run on one hit. And, you know, I, I uttered that line. Let's see, one run 
on one hit. All they got is one GD hit. And then his, his partner, probably one of the only lines he has in the movie, you can't say that on the air. Uh, nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> that is like, so having seen Major League 2 before you see Major League 1, right? Because Major League 2 is, I think, it's PG. Uh, and, and the first Major League, obviously, rated R. So I see Major League Two first, and like I don't get a lot of the, the broadcast jokes. Like they just don't land. Like the fact that he's drinking the bottle of Evian water to start that broadcast, like knowing that he's like a drop dead drunk on air, and all those other things, um, just didn't land. But then when you obviously get a chance to see Major League, it is um, iconic. It is one of the best baseball movies that you're gonna find. Uh, a rifle. First overall pick. Um, I, I think you, you chose well there, Scott. All right, so I'm going to go back. I, actually, we'll do a snake draft. We'll make this fun. Um, so after taking Major League, uh, Tim has already pointed out that I have some issues with uh, Major League 2 and Major League 3. Not horrible movies overall. But if I'm going to pick a second one, man, this is hard. But... I'm actually, you know, I'm going to go with Field of Dreams. Um, Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner, again, as, as Tim's kind of correctly pointed out, you know, has, uh, he could do just about anything as an actor. And, and I don't know if you've read the book. Have you read the book associated with that? I have not, no. Okay, so the book had one major difference. And the, the difference was there was no uh, horse man, um, which, you know, the, uh, um, the, the uh, James Earl Jones character. It was actually J.D. Salinger in the book, which actually to me would have made, you know, it would have been cool if they could have pulled that off, like just having a J.D. Salinger. But I don't think J.D. Salinger would have, you know, signed off on having his likeness in a movie. But you know, at the end of the movie, when he's sitting there asking his dad for a catch, uh, you can't help but having a little, get a little bit teary-eyed for those of us who, who grew up with baseball, you know, and dads and all that good stuff. No, absolutely. Um, great baseball movie. Probably not in my top three, honestly. Um I don't know. I, I think it's a great movie. It's a little uh, little on the sappy side, obviously, for me. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that baseball movie. Um, but I, I think you've, you've left me two in a row here. And I think, Scott, we're going to bump it to four. I think we're going to bump it to four movies. There's just so many good ones out there. And originally, when we had talked about doing this, we had thought we were going to have a guest on. So... My next two, I feel like mine are, I'm going to put this list over the top and, and Scott's really going to have no chance uh, to come back from this. But my number two pick is going to be The Natural. Um, an absolutely phenomenal film. Another one where you talk about the book having some, some differences than the movie. A uh, completely different ending to the book than the movie. Um, where in the book, he, you know, he takes the money, he throws the game. He's, he's banned from baseball uh, in the movie, you know, completely the opposite. He hits the home run. He breaks the lights. Uh, he ends having the catch with his son, another classic father-son moment. Uh, and then just, you know, the soundtrack, right? Like the Randy Newman soundtrack of that song is just iconic. 
with baseball. You know, it was the opening to several baseball games I played as a kid. The Rangers use it all the time up here in DFW. Um, the natural, my number two pick. Um, and since I've got two in a row, I'll just go ahead and hit the, the second one here. And then Scott, I'll let you kind of comment on both of them. Um, for love of the game. I'm going to stay again in the Costner lane, another great Costner movie. And, and then John C. Riley, who plays the catcher, uh, young Kelly Preston, um, the, the girl that he's in love with. I just love that movie of it. It is another one that stays true to baseball. It stays true to, you know, a guy reliving his career, uh, while having the moment of his life at the same time, realizing this is it, right? Um, and it's just, it's a great movie. The guy, he, you know, to experience the greatest night of his life after the biggest disappointment of his life to then retire and, and, and the way he retires with, you know, sending the ball up to the new owner. And, um, yeah, I, I love that one. I, I get goosebumps every time I watch for love of the game. And it's, it's one that, um, that's that one is is a great baseball move for me. Okay, so let me start off with a couple of ones. Uh, hit your first movie first. The reason why I didn't pick the natural, I love the natural, but the natural has some historical inaccuracies. We'll say. So, like, there's one you know scene where Roy Hobbs hits the home run, hitting the Raptors in the outfield of Wrigley Field. Um, there's a bit of a problem with that. Wrigley Field's never had rafters in the outfield. Um, also, you know, destroying the clock. And there, there's just a few. There's just a few problems with that. Um, as as things kind of go on there. There but goes Roy great. Hobbs, the greatest that's ever, or the best it, that's ever been. But there's some great lines there. It would have been, you know, it would have been my uh, my third pick if I had had it. Um, but I don't. But you did leave me an opening here um now love of the game actually i did enjoy that movie i don't know that it was quite up as iconic as some of the other ones um but you know i did you know there's some enjoyable scenes in that you know maybe a little bit too um too sappy for me so i'm gonna go back to back so the one that you left the door wide open is the sandlot I'm taking the Sandlot because, you know, who among us has not uttered the line, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Yeah. Iconic. Iconic. I was never a big fan of that movie as a kid. I like it. I appreciate it more now looking back on my childhood, being able to just go grab some friends and play some ball versus like as a kid, I I didn't enjoy that one as much. I think what I, I think. I think it hits closer to home for those of us in the older generation because we kind of remember going, you know, our parents sending us outside and saying, come back when it's dark. And so, you know, you find stuff to do and um, and you kind of build up like the scary neighbor in your head, like, oh, I can't go get I can't get that ball now because it's over. You know, and we you, know, you build all that stuff up. My favorite scene in that movie, though, is actually when. Uh, I can't remember which character it was, but he tricked the lifeguard into kissing him. And Smalls. they get bit. Yeah, they get... Oh, uh, squ- no, squints. I'm sorry, Squints yeah. did that. Wendy Peppercorn. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a classic scene. So, 
my next one actually and this is when we start to get into i think you know dare i say mediocrity but i actually enjoy eight men out uh eight men out does you stole have, that one i thought i was gonna sneak um, that in at four that's a great movie scott i don't think that's mediocre at all eight men out and i, I put it in the mediocre category because there are some historical inaccuracies there um and if you've read the book, I mean, they immediately come to the fore. So the grand jury and all that stuff actually happens after the 2020 season. So all those eight guys, they played in 2020 after 2019. In fact, one of the reasons why they were banned, uh, 1920, not 2020, but one of the reasons why they were banned is because they mysteriously faded down the stretch. Um, and the Yankees, you know, came in and won the pennant. And so there was, you know, thought that they ended up, you know, tossing that one as well, even though Comiskey reportedly doubled all their salaries after 1919. Um, and so all that's in the book, all that's taken out. Um, but I think, you know, John Cusack, that's one of his uh, best roles that he's ever had, uh, playing Buck Weaver. Um, I love, you know, the, uh, the actor, I can't think of his name, the one who played, um, Joe Jackson, um, Chick Gandle, of course, he's of, uh, the walking dead fame, uh, now, uh, that actor, he's a good actor. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, the, the, the actor that played Eddie Collins, he was on Sesame street for years. He was Mr. Noodle. Uh, so, you know, so, you know, his probably, I think his only serious role that he really ever had, um, you know, was in that movie. And so, you know, I, I loved, you know, and of course, you know, you, you have guys like Ray Shock and you got like, you know, your, your Dickie Curse. So they, they, they did a, for a movie that lasts, you know, two hours. You're forgetting a, the biggest name in the whole, in the whole fucking movie, Scott. Charlie Sheen played Hap Felch. Yeah, I, I I try to I try to block Charlie Sheen out of out of my memory as much as I can. But I uh, thought he was good. He did well in that movie, yes. Um, but I, I think obviously the stars of that movie, uh, the movers and shakers, were you know Eddie Seacott and Chick Gandel. Um, you know, were the biggest ones. I think you know Lefty Williams a little bit lesser. Yeah, and then um, Swede Risberg, yeah, the, the yeah. shortstop. So, and and they were the ones that had more to do with the actual scandal. So it makes perfect sense. And of course, Buck Weaver is your classic, you know, um, tragic character because he didn't take any money, he didn't do anything wrong, but he was still banned anyway. Hit hit over three hundred in the series. Didn't make an error. Uh, you're right, man. It was a great. That's a great movie. It's one that uh, I love. Absolutely love that movie. When you look at the cast, too, it was star-studded. Michael Lerner as uh, Arnold Rothstein. Um, I think it's David David Stratheran as uh, Eddie Seacott. He's been he's a good character actor too. He's in a lot a lot of stuff. Um, But either way, great movie, great pick. at number three, I guess that leaves me my final pick. Oh, it's tough, Scott. It's tough because you took one I was really looking at. 
Um, you know, before I before I make my pick, I'm gonna run through a couple honorable mentions. You know, the rookie's a great movie to me, but um, when I was growing up, every time we finished the tax test, it was either that or remember the Titans that got mass broadcast over the entire school for everybody to watch. So I just got tired of it. Uh, so I got tired of that movie. Um, Battered Bastards of Baseball is an unbelievably fantastic documentary, but maybe trying to keep docs out of this scenario, trying to keep it full uh, dramatic movies. Same goes for No No, uh, a documentary about uh, Doc Ellis's no hitter on LSD. Um, so those will kind of be my honorable mentions that I feel like people should um, check out. But I'm going to fill it out with Little Big League as my number four. Um, kid's grandpa dies, leaves him ownership of the Twins. He then instates himself as manager. Uh, and the Twins go on an unbelievable run to make the uh, playoffs where you get unbelievable cameos. I think that's the thing that sets Little Big League apart is the cameos from legit Major League Baseball players. You had Ken Griffey Jr. You had Randy Johnson when they were playing the Mariners. Uh, You had some real Yankees when they played the Yankees. Uh, You have one of my favorite West Wing actors, Timothy Busfield, uh, who was the reporter who dates C.J. Craig. He plays the first baseman, Lou Collins, uh, in that movie. Uh, you've got uh, Dennis Farina, who plays uh, the manager who, who gets fired before um, the young kid takes over, who is Billy Hayward, who ends up uh, was played by Luke Edwards, um, who you know has done some things since then, but realistically was probably more of a child actor, but, but I mean, either way, it was a fun movie, you know, as a kid, uh, the, the dream of, you know, being left the, uh, your favorite team and then being able to make yourself. Cause I, I saw a lot of myself in that kid, as far as like, I knew more about the game than most kids my age, you know, you could rattle off situations to me and I feel like I could tell you what the right move to make was. So yeah, like I, I got it. This kid could run the twins. And um, it was just a fun movie, man. It's a fun baseball movie. It's when you look at some of the lists of best baseball movies of all time, it's it's obviously not ranked as high as some of the other ones out there. Um, but for me, this movie was just always fantastic. I just never really got into those, but I do have two honorable mentions. And one that I would be remiss not to add in. I think the first one is A League of Their Own. Is an absolutely a terrific baseball movie. Um, obviously, centered around the women's game, which um, another one that's very quotable. Are you crying? There's no crying right. in baseball. Well, you know, and and Gina Davis's character is loosely based on. I don't know if you knew this. You remember Casey Candell? Casey Candell was basically Bill Spires before he was Bill Spires. So this is back in the late '80s, early '90s. He was the uh, you know the little guy that could play every single position. He got his athletic prowess from his mother. His mother was generally regarded as the best player in that league. Uh, and this was back in World War II. You know, so the men are, are out there. You know, are, are fighting, and a lot of the major league players are, are out there fighting in the war. So you know, they had, for about you know a period of about two or three years, the women were playing baseball. 
darn good at it. Um, my favorite, you know, under the, you know, under the radar uh, scene in that was where a ball got loose and you see a black woman pick it up and she just like absolutely hurls it. And it's kind of that general nod to, you know, yeah, the color barrier, you know, kind of sucks. And, um, it was just a little gentle nod, but, um, I like, you know, Gina Davis did a great job in that movie. Uh, Tom Hanks, obviously that was before Tom Hanks had become Tom Hanks, but you know, he did a terrific job in that movie as well. And then, you know, my second one and this one, I don't know where to put this as far as like, you know, to rank it as far as between being good and mediocre, but the rookie with Dennis Quaid, uh, playing Jim Morris. Um, that's the one that got on my honorable mention too. It's, I think it's a good movie. It just like, I don't know about you, Scott. Like when I took the tax test, every time we finished the school finished, they put that movie over the TV for us to watch that or remember the Titans. So I've seen the rookie probably 50 times. And, like, it just got old. It doesn't hold up the same way that some of these other ones do. We never really, – I've only watched it one or two times. I saw it in the theater. And actually, you know, and so me, I'm almost at a reverse where I haven't seen it. Remember the I Titans. I saw theaters as well. The Remember the Titans, I absolutely agree, is a way overplayed film, which there are historical inaccuracies there. I don't know if you knew that. But the uh, – uh, the it's main, a Disney movie about desegregation, Scott. I would bet my ass there's historical inaccuracy. Well, no, there. but like like the scene that they create where Batir gets hit um, prior to the state championship game, that didn't happen. He got hit after the state championship game, so he was able to actually play in the state championship game and probably help them win. So you know they they have to actually create you know this extra you know I don't know it, it just yeah. It, it kind of, there's a lot of things about it that are just way over the top irritating. And so that's, you know, uh, it's a good call on your part. We, we never had a school wide movie for standardized testing. Basically each teacher would choose what they wanted. And so, you know, that's, how, that's the kind of the course we've gone. And, and usually we don't watch movies these days uh, after star, we just have the kids read or sleep. And that's, you know, this was only when like the whole school was verified done or you had like those last 10 kids who are moved to run one room by themselves. Then they'd put on like the movie and like literally like if you were test, if you're testing for three days, it would be like, remember the Titans one day, the next day would be the rookie. And then you're back to remember the Titans the third day. Like that was it. Those are the two. Those are the two movies. Sorry, folks, kind of swallowing my uh, my beer on that one. But um, so if, if I want to move us along here, um, just to let y'all behind the scenes, I was thinking of making Dusty Baker a third time. Uh, you haven't picked comeback. your fourth movie yet, Scott. Oh, I thought I had. No, so you major had two honorable major, mentions. Major League, Field of Dreams, Eight Men Out, and Sandlot. Okay, well, there you go. All right. Um, I thought about making Dusty Baker a, uh, a third-time scumbag, and then I was just thinking, like, no, I can't do this. So, you know, Tim and I talked about it, and we talked about, you know, doing just like a segment, kind of like how we used to do with, you know, dumb tweets. So, basically, the dumb Baker quote of the week. 
I guess is where we're going to go on this one. And I don't, and Tim hadn't heard this one, but I, I did hear it. Basically, we should be getting down on all fours and we should be. Oh, no, I heard, I heard that one. I had heard that. We should be thanking him for his treatment of Yiner Diaz. And he compared it to a young quarterback. So let me, let me talk. Well, let's just, let's look at the young quarterbacks. You got Patrick Mahomes. He comes out week one of his, you know, first season as a starter. You know, throws over 300 yards, four touchdowns, whatever he did in his first game. Are you going to sit there and go, yeah, I don't want to overexpose this kid. Let me sit him for week two. Are you? No, but what they're going to try, what Dusty's trying to say is that they didn't play Mahomes until week 17 of his rookie year. Like, he thinks that's what he's doing with Yiner is – Letting this guy learn, and and then he can come in and and take over year two. That's what he thinks he's doing. But number one, that's just not how the NFL works anymore. You're drafted high, uh, C.J. Stroud, Jacob number two overall, named the starting quarterback. Bryce Young going to be the starting quarterback in Carolina. Anthony Richardson, starting quarterback in Indianapolis. Trevor Lawrence was a starting quarterback from day one when he got there in Jacksonville. These guys that are taken high, they start nowadays. So Dusty's looking at it from like a 1990s view of how quarterbacks used to be babied along, and he's just wrong. Well, so I did some I did some numbers crunching today because you know I want you know kind of make a point of what we're seeing. So taking Mike Michael Brantley out, who beat the you know beat the apocalypse. I didn't think he was ever going to play again, but hey. He got in there, you know, yesterday and today had a few hits. So, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're rolling. Every single player on the Astros that has had significant at-bats that is currently on the roster. So, Corey, that doesn't count Corey Jolks. Singleton, I don't think, has had, you know, significant at-bats, and he wasn't, and he doesn't fit this description. Every single player has a higher batting average after the all-star break than they did before every single player now after that two of them have lower on base percentages than they did two of them have lower slugging percentages than they did but only one player has a lower ops and the one player has a lower ops is Jordan because Jordan was raking in the you know, before the all-star break so the the astros are now clicking along where they are averaging almost six and a half runs a game since the All-Star break, that's over a course of 44 games. That's not an insignificant number of games. So we mentioned this, you know, right before we got on the air, Tim. You heard about all the Angels players that um, that were put on waivers. Teams can't pull those guys back anymore, so if you claim them, they're yours. I think the White Sox put on Mike Clevenger was another guy. Harrison Bader was another guy from the Yankees who got put on waivers. So out of those two guys that are not Angels, the Angels have put on uh, Lucas Giolito. They put on Matt Moore. They put on uh, Ronaldo. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, I'm thinking I'm blanking on his last name. But uh, they also Lo- put Ronaldo Lopez, isn't it? Yeah, Lopez, um, Randall uh, Grichik, and um, gosh, you mentioned the right fielder, uh, Hunter Infro. 
So, out of those seven guys, eight guys, are there any of them that interest you? Probably not. Now that now that we know that Uncle Mike's back, I would say maybe Renfro, if Uncle Mike wasn't able to come back. Um, because I honestly I, I don't want to see any more Jake Myers. I really don't. Um, you know, in the position we're at with Dubon, I think he can fill the Jake Myers role offensively better. And I think Chaz is your everyday center fielder. So why do we keep Jake Myers on the roster? Chaz is good defensively. Uh, so if you could get me another late inning bat, okay. But now Brantley has looked fantastic. Um, you know, I watched yesterday's game. He didn't have a hit, but he squared everything up. Like he lined out, he hit a hard, hard ball that turned into a double play. Uh, I think he had another line out to right or something, but everything was squared up. And then he has three hits today. Um, I, I feel good about where we're at. I don't, you know, maybe some pitching. Our starting pitching is a little scary, Scott. That is something that, you know, if you want to look at Giolito, maybe. But, you know, I, I just – Christian Javier has not been the Christian Javier we've seen in the past. Uh, or Kitty's been pretty good lately. He's had two good outings in a row. Um, Fromber's had – you know, I today was a good outing. He had an error that really kind of cost him. Um, so – I think he only had three earned runs in his in his outing, but I don't know. If you could tell me you could turn around Giolito, maybe, but it's just so late in the season, I don't see how you're going to get it done in time. So, yeah, offensively, I don't – yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't think there's anybody out there that really um, – that, that moves the needle all that much. Um, I think the issue is um, – is on the mound, as you pointed out. So the one guy I'm interested in actually is Matt Moore. Matt Moore is a lefty. As a reliever, he's been brilliant um, ever since you know he got moved to the bullpen. His ERA, he did give up a couple of runs today, even though the Angels won. And I think he's the winning pitcher. Um, his ERA is sitting at about two and a half. Okay. Not counting Will Smith last year, which Will Smith was not a dominant lefty reliever. Who's the last dominant lefty the Astros have had? Um, the reason why I would add him is because I looked at all the numbers before the All-Star break and after the All-Star break, and I didn't go deeply into like you know stats like I normally would. I just simply looked at like innings, ERA, that kind of thing, one-loss record. Since the All-Star break, Phil Maton, 8-10 ERA. He just got off the DL, and he got in his first outing, he gave up a couple of runs. Let's put him back on the DL. Um, if you wanted to give Javier some rest, there's a couple of options that you have. Uh, when the rosters expand, which is tomorrow, I think, the first, or first is Friday, right? The first is Friday. Um, Blanco has been decent as a starter. Not terrific, but he's been better than Christian Javier since the also break. Um, Brendan Belak, I would not want him anywhere near a playoff roster. But as a guy to eat innings in September, I think what you really need to do is you, I, I am convinced that Christian Javier is hurt. Number one, velocity is down. Number two, command is gone. Those are two hallmarks of a guy that's hurt. And so if you, you know, give him a couple of weeks off, 
you know, let that arm kind of, you know, come back a little bit. I don't know that you can trust him to be a playoff starter at this point. And I think I, I agree with you there. Akiti is probably close. There's been a couple of outings where he's gone four innings and just the fifth, he lost it. So I think he can get there. I think that, you know, you give him a couple of more starts. I think he can get up to that five or six inning level. Uh, Hunter Brown. Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, JP France obviously bounced back in, in the uh, second game of the Boston series. So, you know, uh, he's kind of back into, you know, good stead, at least in trusting him. So, I mean, I think you have four playoff starters, but you really need Javier is a guy that can be a weapon in the bullpen. Um, you know, just like, you know, you had with guys like Charlie Morton in 2017 when he wasn't starting, you know, coming in, working, you know, two or three innings out of the pen. You know, you did that with Lance McCullers in 2017 as well. So I think you have options there. And so a guy like Giolito, the problem is since the All-Star break, his ERA is over seven. So there's got to be some fixing done. I mean, there's a reason why the, the Angels put him on the DL. Um, so basically the way I'd look at it is I would add Matt Moore and maybe Giolito just to give, you know, some of these guys a little bit of, of rest. I don't mind the idea of Matt Moore for sure. I, I, I just don't think Giolito's worth it. I really don't. Um, I look at Hunter Brown. I mean, you, uh, I don't know what's going on with him, man. It's it's every other every other game you get a good outing from him. So you have you know six innings, two runs, then five innings, five runs, then uh, a relief appearance, two innings, no runs, then a start, four innings, six runs, and then another start, five innings, two runs. So it's just you know the consistency for Hunter Brown right now isn't there. So I'd like to see that a little bit more from someone you're going to put out there in a playoff position, right? So that that fourth playoff starter is huge. I don't like the idea of JV pitching on short rest in the playoffs. He's just uh, the numbers show you a guy of that age. It's it's not beneficial. So um, if it's Arquiti, if it's Javier, I don't. I just, I'm with you. I don't think it's Javier. I really don't. I think um, something's wrong there. I, I think it's something's wrong with the arm. He's not getting the same action he was getting on his fastball, and. You're right. That screams. That screams injury, and so uh, at that point, shut him down. Uh, I'd like to see you know maybe Spencer Aaron Getty get some starts here down the stretch. Uh, been putting up great numbers in AAA. Uh, if you're going to expand the rosters, I think this is a great time to to let a young guy like that come up. And and who knows, maybe he's does something like Hunter Brown last year where he can be a bullpen piece for you um, in the playoffs and give you a couple innings on, on a game where Urquidy only goes four. Now you can have a young rookie come in and give you two innings out of the bullpen to get you through six. That's pretty helpful. Uh, so that'd be something I'm interested in there. But yeah, Matt Moore is it for me. Uh, other than that, Scott, I really don't have a lot of interest in, in any of those Angels guys simply because we just don't need them right now. Um, and speaking of which, let's do a quick check on the standings. The um, Rangers lost in extras today. The Mariners had a one-run win over uh, Oakland. So now we are in a virtual tie with the Mariners atop the division, Rangers won game back. Um, technically, the Mariners are the tiniest of a percentage point in winning percentage ahead of us, uh, 751 to 750. So technically, uh, we are 
the second wild card team if it were to end today, but obviously it doesn't. So we're in a, a, basically a tie for first place right now after the sweep. So if you look at the, the remaining schedule, and then this was done actually before today's game, um, the remaining games, um, the remaining schedule has the Astros with a winning percentage from their opponents of 462. And like I said, that was before today's game because Boston, you know, is over 500 and, and, you know, could still make the playoffs. So the Astros by far have the easiest schedule going forward um, than, than the other two teams in the division. Um, I'm kind of with the Angelito because the, the thing that you have to consider is that there has to be a corresponding 40 man roster move. You know, and so who do you, you know, end up DFAing you know, in that moment? And I think they, they were trying desperately to keep Singleton. And that's why they sent Jolks down, uh, because they could. Now, uh, Blanco, if he is called up, he cannot be sent down again because there's a certain, in addition to the number of option years that you have, there's also a, a certain number of call-ups and send-downs you can have in a year. And I think it's five. And he's already been sent up and down five times. So if you're gonna if you're gonna bring Blanco back, he needs to stay on the roster. Which actually for September first, I wouldn't mind. Um, you can add uh, the rules have changed. They used to you used to expand a forty on the September roster. Now I think you can expand three guys. So to me, Blanco, Belak, unless you want to sign Matt Moore. And then one more position player, make it jokes. And, um, or I don't know, I, this is where I have a problem. Do you, do you see somebody like a jokes is more useful because he has shown that he can hit, but is only an outfielder or somebody like Kessinger who can play infield positions, but hasn't really shown that he can hit all that much. I mean, to me, David Hensley, I'm kind of agreeing with you. Uh, one of the things you said in the last shows, he's not a candidate right now. Maybe you keep him around. Maybe he figures something out, but 2023 is not going to be when he figures it out. So to me, I don't know if you're, if you're taking one position player on Friday, are you taking Kessinger or are you taking Jolks? I, it's probably jokes simply because Dubon gives you so much flexibility that um, I think you're able to do that. I just I don't I don't want either of those guys really. I I feel like we're completely set in the outfield, Scott. I really do. Like I don't see jokes getting playing time if he comes up here. I really don't, and it sucks for him. But we all knew jokes was here till Brantley got back. That was like. When he made the team out of spring training, it was kind of with the caveat of like, this is Brantley's roster spot. When he comes back, he's going to take over for Jokes. Great opportunity for Jokes to get some reps as a young rookie. Um, well, it took a lot longer for Brantley to get back than we thought, but now Brantley's back. Like, there's no need for Jokes. Like, if we want to play Brantley in left field, we DH Jordan. If we want to DH Brantley, we play Jordan in left field. We're already limiting the at-bats that. Yiner's going to get because we have a, a significant competition for the DH now um, with Brantley back. So I don't really need jokes on the roster because knowing Dusty, Dusty's going to feel the need to get him at bats. Dusty's going to feel like I got to keep this guy fresh. I got to get him in the lineup. 
and we're going to see, you know, on a day where we feel like maybe Yiner should be the DH or something, we're going to have a Corey Jokes DH day. It's going to piss everybody off. So I just don't, I, I don't want to give Dusty that option. It, it's kind of like where um, Billy, uh, Billy Bean um, traded away Carlos Pena because he wouldn't play, they wouldn't play Scott Hatterberg at first base with, uh, in, in Moneyball, right? Like, I don't want to give Dusty the option to play Corey Jokes because he will. I think the other option that you would have that might actually be interesting is Cesar Salazar. Um, just simply That'd be because... better because then when you DH, then when you DH Yiner, you don't have to worry about losing the DH spot with your catcher. I'd rather do that. Yeah, and I and I don't know how he's hitting in AAA. I haven't really looked, but... Um, I think we kind of run um, run the last you know twenty eight games in the ground, and and this is what's interesting since the All Star break. And I want you to think of this: if you put Diaz in the lineup, um, and and we'll we'll consider you know, would you consider Brantley a three hundred hitter? Yeah, I mean, I just his pedigree, yeah. So, if you go to simply since the All-Star break, if you put Diaz in as a catcher, your top seven hitters are all hitting over 300. If you include Brantley as a 300 hitter. I can't think of a team in baseball history that's where that's happened. Uh, career, two, career 297 guy for Brantley. So and I think he's better, he's better after the All-Star break than I think he is before. I think I looked that up. So he's been a 305 hitter in his time in Houston. So the only guys who are not hitting over 300 are Pena, who, by the way, since the All Star break, his on base percentage is hot. He's 365 on base percentage. Now, what has happened since the All Star break, he is at zero dingers. He's so smack, he's, he's getting close, man. He's, yeah, so, he is so, yeah. good swings right now. His slugging percentage. At, sorry, Scott. If you look at Pena's last five games, uh, I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic. Like he has been. He had a five-hit game um, on Monday night against Boston. He had another couple knocks. He had a triple uh, today. He's he's been he's been lights out. Yeah. So um, he was the guy. So if you listen to my whole spiel about two guys that have lower OBPs and two guys have lower slugging, he is actually the guy who in one of those categories is lower. He's lower in slugging. But because of the huge advantage that he has in OBP since the All-Star break, as compared to before the break, his OPS is actually higher uh, than it was before the break. And that's that's when considering that he had all 10 of his home runs this year before the All-Star break. So, you know, his uh, OPS is now over 700 for the whole year. It's at Coming into the day, it was at 7.08 after the break. That's your eighth or ninth hitter when Diaz is catching. So the only other spot you have uh, um, that is you know somewhat questionable is first base. And Abreu's been better since the All-Star break. Hasn't been good, but he's been better. Uh, and then, of course, you kept Singleton. So, you know, they're kind of platooning them, it looks like, right now. Um, I don't know how that platoon is going to look, you know, full-time, but 
Um, I like the platoon because they talked about that, you know, Abreu's got a back issue right now. He, they feel like that's kind of what's been bothering him. And if they can play him two out of every three days, then that's what's going to keep him healthier. I think his swings have looked better up there. And again, I'm, I'm completely fine with getting Abreu, I mean, uh, single in one out of every three starts because I, I like his approach at the plate. Um, I think defensively, he, he, he could have helped out Jeremy Pena today. Could have helped out Fromber on on the uh, on a dig in the sixth inning, but other than that, like I'm fine with two for Abreu, one for Singleton right now. The way that both those guys are are looking at the plate. Yeah, and I think um, one thing with Abreu was funny is that he drove in 75 runs last year, hitting over 300. He's got 62 RBIs. So he's on pace to drive in more runs than he did last year as a White Sox. Um, he's already he's up to 11 home runs. He has hit 15 last year as a White Sox. He could surpass both of those totals easily, you know, if he continues to, you know, to be hot. And he did take some Corazon shots um, in his back. So, you know, maybe that he'll be fine for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, and, and Singleton, you know, he's gotten a few hits here and there. So ever since the two home run game, you know, he kind of hit that lull where he had like about three or four overs uh, with some walks. But now, thank goodness, you know, he's gotten a few hits here and there. Remember, he's your eighth hitter in a lineup where Diaz is catching. I mean, if Singleton's your eighth hitter or Brehu's your eighth hitter, that's that's a pretty Pretty damn good lineup. Jeremy Pena in that lineup's your ninth hitter. And he's got a 365 on base percentage since the All-Star break. So yeah, out of all the, the waiver list, I'm I'm not adding anybody on offense. You know, even you know, because you're gonna have to make some 40 man adjustments. And, you know, you might add a pitcher like Matt Moore, but you know, the bullpen, here's the key since the all-star break. Here's the one that's gonna flummox Astros fans. Rafael Montero, 245 ERA since the All-Star break. Now imagine that. I mean, that's that's just huge. Getting Montero back to that level is huge for this bullpen, right? Because now you've got really four reliable pieces down this. You can if you can get through five and you can go. Montero in the sixth, uh, Neris seven, Abreu eight, Presley nine, and then I've also got Graveman in the mix too if I need him. That's huge because even like last night, Abreu looked a little shaky, but also it was in the pouring rain. So I'm going to give him that credit of like it's probably hard to, to have good control of the baseball when it is because with two outs in the ninth, it just started pouring. And you could tell they were just trying to get this game over. It was a blowout. And Abreu just out of nowhere when it started pouring, lost control of the zone. So I I put that on on the rain, but yeah, if 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 we can have even just a glimpse of that Montero that we know is there, it completely changed this bullpen, right? And now you're looking at a real championship pedigree roster, and and the bullpen that won this World Series for you last year is kind of starting to take shape again here. So the one question I have with the bullpen, and I don't know if, if you're man, you're talking about playing manager when you're talking about the rookie of the year or the you know, little big league. So since the All Star break, 
Abreu's ERA 0 0.50. That, that, that's not a typo. That's a 0 0.50. Presley's ERA since the break is over 5. Now, I think a lot of that was due to that Detroit game where he literally has two outs and two strikes on Cabrera, then all of a sudden can't retire. You know, four or five guys get hits in a row. I mean, that's just ridiculously unlucky. Um, and, you know, a lot of soft contact, too. Like, he saw, didn't give up the homer, but up until that point, it was a seeing eye single from Cabrera, a bloop single, a jam shot, stuff like that. Well, and then tonight, you know, you see Tristan Cassis, you know, get a, uh, get a hit with two outs and two strikes, and you're like, oh, God, not this again. Uh, but then he gets the next hitter. Do you consider giving a Brahu some uh, some ninth inning opportunities? Maybe in September, yeah, but not in the playoffs. I think I think until Presley shows you he can't get the job done in the playoffs, he's gotten it done every every step of the way. I, I mean, closing a game out in October is different than any other time of year, right? Like the go ask uh, or all this Chapman what it's like to try and close a game out in the playoff environment. Uh, it, it's, it's different than, than sitting there just throwing gas in July. So I want to bring you to get as many playoff reps as he can, because I, I see this guy as our future closer, right? Like I think obviously everybody knows Presley's on, on the downside of his career. Uh, you know, one of the greatest, one of the greatest moves that Luna made, I think was going to get Ryan Presley. Um, when you look at some of the in-season moves that, that Jeff Lunau made in his tenure here, acquiring Ryan Presley was was better than most. But that being said, it, it you know, the, the velo's down, spin rate's a little down on that curveball. Um, this is probably the downside of his career. So I think if we can get one more good playoff run out of him, knowing you've got a Brayu ready in the wings for next year, that's probably your best option. So yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough call because he's. I mean, I think Presley's got a couple of more years on that contract, and they're pretty hefty, you know, for pretty hefty money. Um, moving on from, I don't want to touch on this too much because I think you know we we probably you know we've got our favorite um, segment of the week coming up. So the Texans do make their their fifty three man. Uh, they make their final cuts. Uh, any surprises there for you? Uh, I think Desmond King was a little bit of a surprise. But, I mean, he's been getting roasted in the preseason, right? He hasn't looked good out there. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised by Christian Kirksey, uh, a guy that they re-signed in the offseason, brought him back. But, again, just lost a step, doesn't look good in pass coverage, really is kind of a, a two-down linebacker at best at this point. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's I mean, Roy Lopez. Maybe I thought maybe they, they let him work on the IL or IR for a little bit, but they ended up just cut, you know, cutting him with an injury settlement. Um, I, I think other than that, not really. I mean, I think to me, the most surprising thing was throwing green on the IR for the season. Uh, you know, I, I think that one was a bit of a head scratcher, but I think they're afraid to cut him and eat the cap money that goes with it. But I think they know they whiffed on that pick. And uh, now they're just in the position of, you know, hey, we're fucked. We got to figure out what to do with this guy. We can't quite cut him yet. So let's just stash him on IR for a year. 
you know, yeah, ESPN has that 30 for 30 series. Um, I don't think Kenyon Green's a 30 for 30 guy. Maybe he's a five for five. Um, but, you know, what uh, five minutes. Can you, can you, you can spend five minutes on Kenyon Green? Like, hey, I got one. This guy well, sucks. Well, he the in Texas A&M, he kind of sucked there. Now he sucks here. Well, the intrigue there, and the reason why I would give him five is because Nick Casario comes out and says, well, we kind of had an inkling this was going to happen in May. So May's after the draft. May's after you have, you know, your major free agent sign. But this team really didn't do anything to address left guard. And if you and May are sitting there thinking, man, you know, this might not make it. So you cut Michael Dieter who, you know, started the last preseason game. You traded for uh, Kendrick Green, just to, I guess, confuse the fans. I think that's what it's going to be. Who does, uh, does not have great tape. His tape is not well, good at all. Well, no, no. The, the funniest thing was, like, this uh, guy, this Pittsburgh fan, calls into 6'10", and he just flat-out roasts him. I mean, he just like anybody with the last name of Green, you want to change your name, you know, if you're going to live in Pittsburgh because you can't, you know, be associated with this guy. And you're like, okay, so we're going to trade, you know, okay, a 2025 sixth rounder. Yeah, that's two years down the road. Yeah, I mean, that, that you know, whatever. But is that guy? Well, he, had some, he had some good tape when he was a center. And they moved to guard. I think that the left guard's going to be Jones, uh, the former UH Cougar who uh, who's never played it. From a, he's played he's, guard. He's, he's never played, played left guard. guard. Yeah, he's never played left guard. Uh, Patterson's another possibility if he's not the center because Juice Scruggs is hurt. So the offensive yeah. line's in a state of flex. Um, I'm kind of with you on the rest of the guys. Um, Kirksey, I never thought would be back. Um, cutting him. And King at the same time saves you $8 million, which is nothing to sneeze at in terms of the cap. I mean, right now the Texans are about $20 million under the cap total. Um, I don't I'd, I'd know. love to see him use that space to bring in a receiver. I don't know who's out there that can be had. It's going to be um, a trade if you do it, right? Yeah. There's no one in free agents you can sign. But when you look at you've got a rookie quarterback, everything that goes with it, our receiving room is lacking. It oh, really yeah. Is. Tank oh, Dell yeah. is, is 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 on an island by himself. We've seen, in the preseason we've seen these guys just aren't exposed to playmakers out there, and um, I, I think that's going to really hurt CJ Stroud. So if they could use some of this cap space to bring in a disgruntled guy, or a disgruntled veteran, or someone who could be uh, of help to CJ Stroud. I think looking back on our offseason, that's going to be a big miss. You know, knowing you were going to go out and get a rookie quarterback to not have a strong number one wide receiver going into the year who could help him along the way. Even, you know, knowing Hopkins was out there and he came by the Texans facility. You know, how, how amazing would it have been to have a guy like that to help a young rookie receiver? Hey, just throw it anywhere near me and I'll make a play on it. I, I don't know, Scott. I'm just, I'm a little worried about the lack of talent in this receiver room when you've got a young quarterback who needs everyone around him to elevate their game for him to be effective, right? Because he's just young. He's not the guy who's going to bring everybody else's level up. He needs those guys to bring their level up to bring him with them. Well, what frustrates me and, you know, the talk on, you know, which we'll get to this in a second because I um, have a fun new segment I want to try out here, but Nick Casario's in trouble. 
he's in serious trouble right now. If Derek Stingley doesn't ball out this year, that 2022 draft does not look good at all. Uh, with with Kenyon Green as the uh, the other first round pick, and you know signing Robert Woods as a veteran, okay, but I've watched him. He you know he's dropped balls. He's not you know he's not getting open. He, he's not the guy that he was when he was in L.A. with the Rams, and, no, and he know. wasn't that guy last year with the Titans either. We saw that on tape. So what the fuck was he looking at? When he goes out and says, this is the guy that I'm going to bring in. It makes absolutely no sense. They're banking on Nico Collins to make a huge leap that we have no evidence he has that ability to make that leap. Well, the problem was is that, you know, Robert Woods, what is he known for? Um, He's a professional. That's great. He's a good blocking wide receiver. That's nice. But this team needs a number one wide receiver, and they don't got it. Well, if you want a good blocker, I think Kevin Walter's son's probably almost college age at this point. He'll be ready to go soon. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's the whole thing is like if you had a DeAndre Hopkins already on your roster, then signing a Robert Woods makes some sense. Makes some sense. You don't, you don't got it right now. I mean, uh, watching that last preseason game, you know, Stroud drops a perfect ball to Nico Collins on the sideline that he can't bring in. And it was, you know, the, the defender's making a good play on it, but that means the defender was covering him. That means that he's not getting separation. Uh, Robert Woods, he made another, you know, kind of running, you know, throw to Robert Woods. Could have brought it in on the sideline. Robert Woods, I guess, decided to play the, I'm going to play for a pass interference angle instead of actually catch the football angle. I, you know, and then, of course, Tank Dell doesn't play at all with C.J. Stroud in the entire preseason. I don't get it. You know, yeah, that one's a little I, puzzling to me because here's what's, what's interesting to me too is I think the two young rookies that we're all going to be excited about going into the season, obviously Tank Dell and Mechie for different reasons, right? Like I think Mechie obviously is a great story, but also he was a guy we had a lot of high hopes for before he, he finds out with that he has cancer. Both of those guys are going to work the slot and line up in the middle and, and work the middle open space of the field. Now you've got Robert Woods clogging that playing area. He's not an outside wide receiver. You don't put Robert Woods at the X or Y slot and let him line up on the outside. Robert Woods lines up on the inside and works over the middle. He's not big enough to work on the outside. So now the Texans just have a collection of slot receivers and Nico Collins. Yeah, and I think, you know... Hutchinson had a nice pre, uh, final preseason game. He's a guy I'd like to see more of on the outside. Um, and this is the point where, you know, they talk about stage two of the rebuild, which I think where the Kenyon Green situation comes in. We don't have, we don't have the luxury since we don't have our first round pick next year. We don't have the luxury of just saying, hey, we're just going to throw this guy out there and we're going to hope he develops into something. No, we, we can't do that. We need to put out somebody who's going to do the job. And that's why Kenyon Green's not on, on you know, the active roster right now. Whether he was hurt, whether you know it's his fault, whether or not he's just not dedicated enough to football, whether or not he was never that good in the first place, I don't know. I mean, that's the subject of the five for five, you know, where you start asking those questions. But what they finally got to the point of is that we can't put him at left guard He's going to get our quarterback killed. 
So we need to find somebody else. I don't know who that is. Um, Jones, Green, Patterson, you know, it's got to be somebody. But you signed Robert Woods. Okay, that's great. Maybe he can block, but I don't care how much money you're paying him. You got to put the best three wide receivers out there. And I'm not sure Robert Woods is that guy. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know. Noah Brown is another guy that keeps getting run. I, 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 uh, okay. Well, was he the fourth or fifth receiver in Dallas? Uh, you know, all right, I guess. But, you know, this team, obviously next year, the big focus is going to be bringing a number one wideout. The question in my mind is, is it going to be Nick Casario making that pick in 2024? Unless this team somehow goes on a run and makes the playoffs, there's no way to me. No way to me Nick Casario is back. Because he I don't think he's done a great job of drafting. Um, you know, this this class we'll see, but you had two first round picks last year that are both looking like busts. Like you said, we'll see on we'll see on Stingley. Uh, and, and I hope he's not, because that would mean that we've got a great man cover corner. And and I'll be the first to tell you that I don't think Lovey Smith used that guy properly last year either. Uh, you got a guy who plays great man defense from throwing him out there in zones. Makes no sense. But you had Juice ready to go right there. Um, I'm sorry, you had uh, not Juice. Um, the guys, uh, the guy from Cincinnati, um, Sauce uh, Gardner. So, Sauce, yeah, Sauce Gardner was right there. And, and you, you know, obviously, you have to make you have to make the decision as the GM and. And you could say he picked wrong. And we know he picked wrong at offensive line. Green isn't the guy. Um, so it, it, it's – it's. we'll see. Time will tell. I, I don't think Casario's here next year. I really don't. Unless unless C.J. Stroud just balls. And and there's always that chance, right? There's always a chance that C.J. Stroud comes in and, and he makes Robert Woods look great. And all this looks like Casario knew what he was doing all along. And who knows? But the where I'm sitting and where I'm looking, there's not – enough wide receiver talent on this roster knowing you've got a rookie quarterback who needs help. You need guys that get open. He's not there yet to just throw everybody open. He's not Tom Brady who can make Jabbar Gaffney into a freaking pro bowler. That's not where we're at. You need Randy Moss to come in and, and be that guy. You know, you don't need Jabbar. And so we'll see, Scott. You know, we haven't played a single regular season game yet. We don't know what the offense really is even going to look like. Um, but that being said, I don't know. I, I, you know, part of the, what the 49ers did was they used Debo in such an interesting way. We don't have that guy on the roster. There's just so many question marks as to what Slowick's offense is going to look like. Cause I don't think any of us know. Well, and that's going to be you know, good for him in the sense that, you know, the opponents don't know either and they didn't show much in the, in the, in the preseason. Um, I'm going to steal a segment. I'm going to come right out, and I'm just going to admit that I'm stealing it. The, uh, on one of the shows on 97.5, they have what is called Bad Take Boulevard. And so they, they pick a, uh, a take that somebody has said. And I'm just going to say this right now uh, on the outset. Um, I got satellite radio with the new car that I got. Thank God. Because sports radio in, in Houston on the weekends is a festival of sadness. 
makes me want to commit Harry Carey listening because basically it's basically a, because it's all fucking paid to be well, there. Well, it's it's you you got fishing talk. You've Ooh, got that guy pays to be on the radio. Yeah, you know, having worked at ninety-seven-five, the car guys pay to be there. The fishing guy pays to be there. The outdoor guy pays to be there. They pay the radio station money for that airtime because it promotes their business. They think they're real talk show hosts, but they're fucking advertisers. They're just paying to be on air. They're no different than you and I, except they've got more money to go rent the airtime from 97.5. The great outdoors. Fuck that show. My 610, my favorite was the, the sport of home improvement. Tom Tynan, I loved. I hang on now. We're not going to have any negative thing. I've learned so much from Tom Tynan. My dad and I listen to Tom Tynan every week on the way to his restaurant. Well, Tom Tynan, Tom Tynan, you know, fine. But there's like some people on there said, okay, this week we're going to watch paint dry. You know, it's like, damn it, no, I want to actually do something. But um, but so with satellite radio, I actually get to listen to uh. The, st- the go-to station, because I, I don't like ESPN. I don't like the four-letter network. So I listen to Mad Dog Radio whenever I can't listen to local sports radio here. So there's a guy on there, Lance Meadow. I don't know if you've heard of him. So Lance Meadow, he, he's like on everywhere. He's like on every channel they have. Like I think he's like the only XM employee that's in studio. And so they just throw him on the NFL network. They throw him on Mad Dog Radio, maybe Major League you know, Radio, whatever. Every time he's been on, and I said, and, and this has been even since I talked to you, every time he's been on, he's been talking about Trey Lance. Every single time. Now, boys and girls, Lance Meadows is using what we lovingly in English call a straw man. Now, do you know what your straw man is, Tim? Yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a scarecrow, like someone to draw you off topic of what's really the issue here. Someone you can blame, someone you can throw, just throw all your issues at. So basically what he's done is he's created a straw man, but apparently somebody out there, I have no idea who, that seems to think that the Cowboys are going to make Trey Lance their starting quarterback. Because this is all he's talked about. So he actually shapes his mouth to say the words that he thinks Dak Prescott is better than Jalen Hurts. This is what he says. And his defense of this is that, well, yeah, he hadn't won the playoffs, but that's not really his fault. Let me tell you, I probably have PTSD, sports PTSD, from watching Warren Moon and the Oilers from about 1990 to about 1995, 96, actually the late 80s to that point. We're talking Stagger Lee in Denver. I don't know if you remember that play or have seen that play on YouTube. So this is where Jerry Glanville, on his own one-yard line, wants to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage to his wide receiver on the sideline so that he could throw the ball to another wide receiver. Now, you want to guess what happens? Fumble. Yep, fumble in the end zone, touchdown Denver. And you're just like, what the hell are you doing? This is, you know, 35 to 3 in Buffalo. And the whole thing is, is that does anybody really think in the 80s and early 90s that Warren Moon 
was a franchise quarterback. Really? Puts up terrific numbers in the regular season because the run and shoot does that, or the chuck and duck, as uh, Buddy Ryan used to call it. Dak Prescott's the same guy. It's not putting up the same numbers, but he's, he's putting up touchdowns. He's putting up yards. That's nice. Leads the NFL in turnovers. Even more interceptions than uh, Davis Mills. But yet somehow Jalen Hurts is not as good as Dak Prescott. And all of this is to service the point that he's going to sit there and say that Trey Lance is not going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, dumbass. We know Trey Lance is not going to be the starting quarterback. We're pretty sure that's not going to be the case. So if we want to morph in Bad Take Boulevard into scumbags, Lance Meadow, that was a horrible take. And so you are my sports scumbag for the week. Took us on a turn there, Scott. I uh, thought we were having a new segment. Next thing you know, your scumbags out there. Well, we can we can have it both. Thing. We can have it. No, be both. no, I like it. I like it. I just uh, I wasn't I wasn't ready, but now you know I'm mentally there. I know that you've you've got your guy, and um, yeah, it's it's okay. It's I I don't understand where people think Trey Lance is going to be the star of this year. I think it's a, I think it was a great move for Dallas to bring him in. Um, I think Dak is not without fault. And if you can get a guy who's had this little experience and get him into your system and maybe two years from now when Dak is no longer your quarterback, you've got the next guy. If not, it really didn't cost you a lot. And so it was a smart move, I think, on Dallas's part. Uh, also, Dak's gotten hurt <laughs> the last few years. And so, hey, now you've got a guy who at least um, can step in and, and can give you um, – a little bit of something, right? I would have loved it. Houston had done something like that because, you know, uh, you have Cooper Rush in Dallas. So really, you know, Trey Lance is your third stringer there. You know, have Case Keenum be your backup. Uh, teams have apparently been calling the Texans on both Davis Mills and Case Keenum. You, and would, that leads me that leads me into my next scumbag. Is, it's, it's Casario. Why is Davis Mills still on this fucking roster? Teams are calling you, asking you about him. Give him the fuck out of town. Send him. No one wants him here. There are still, for some reason, people who think Davis Mills, including Nick Casario, have value to this football team. He brings you nothing. He brings you fucking nothing. Case Keenan was brought in to help teach the young quarterback. You've got the young quarterback who is your starter. What are you doing with Davis Mills? Because he's not going to get reps in practice. He's he, And if something happens in a game, I'd feel much more comfortable with Case coming in than Davis Mills. So what the fuck are we doing? If there's someone who will give us any value whatsoever for Davis Mills, go get it. You don't have your first-round draft pick next year. You've given up some late-round picks for some trades here this season. What are we doing, Scott? What are we doing? Because, as you mentioned, the misses already, the, the mishandling of, of our backup quarterback situation is abysmal because I think everybody knows – from the moment we drafted Stroud, he was the guy. So then what the fuck are we doing with Davis Mills still on our roster? Well, what kills me is that Davis Mills, you know, from the get-go, and, and I get it from his point of view, was never going to be about helping Stroud because he wanted the job. And, you know, and, and on a certain level, I applaud him because you, know, you want somebody who wants the job. 
But watching him, uh, you know, and you're not going to get a fourth rounder for Mills. You'll get a six or a seven, fifth or six, fifth or six, maybe. But and you see, gave up a you gave up a six for that green guy. You gave up a seventh, yeah, for exactly. Josh Jones, go get some of that back. Yeah, exactly. Get one of those two picks back, right? And you had EJ Perry, who is not good, but EJ Perry has some upside, and at least he's mobile. And so you know. And that's where Trey Lance, to me, you can you can find been, a third quarterback, Scott. You can that, I'll, Max Duggan's out there if you really, you know. I mean, you can find guys who just are your emergency quarterback. It's not that big of a position, right? Like, how many games do you really need your third quarterback? It, we've seen it two or three times a season, max total in the whole NFL. So, why are we worrying that much about having three legit guys? We don't need that. If Davis Mills has value to another team, sell. Sell high. Yeah, anything I would take. And, and my secondary scumbag, you know, because you were mentioning, you know, Nick Casario, whatever it is the Arizona Cardinals are doing, uh, you know, I get tanking. On a, you know, and I hate to use that word because players don't tank. You know, general managers tank. Because that's what the Texans did over the last couple of years. I mean, let's be honest. But right, you don't you don't you know, tank by asking the players to not try. You tank by pulling the Cleveland Indians from Major League and putting subpar talent out on the field. And these guys can try as hard as they want. They're just not good enough. Now I'm okay, you know. And so here's what they did with the quarterback situation in in, in Arizona. For those of y'all who don't follow Arizona football, and and, and if I did, I would be depressed as hell. Um, they um, their quarterback situation is exciting. That's well, the only thing that's exciting out there. Well, but in Clayton Toon won the job. Well, let's let's be honest here. Clayton Toon was given the job because won it. They 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 cut Colt McCoy, and and the funny thing is, is like they sit there and did that. You know, the best thing for the team. As if Colt McCoy was suddenly this mid thirties malcontent that was like turning over lockers and shit, you know. And it's like right, like he's, Colt was expecting he, to start. He okay, Colt McCoy. I'm I'm just gonna say this right now. I don't know what Clayton Tune's gonna do as a pro. I I probably, if I were a U of H fan, I would view Clayton Tune probably the same way that I view Max Duggan. Where it's like I absolutely love the guy. Well, in this sense, I absolutely love the guy, except I don't have high expectations of their pro See, career. I, I I think Toon could be a really good pro. I, I really do. I, I think do. he's been. I think he's a more mobile Ben Roethlisberger. Well, that could be, but he ain't going to be that in this situation. No, um, because and, the, the Cardinals are selling off anyone who has value. And so, you know, and they, they bring in Josh Dobbs, who I, I didn't even know was still in the league. They actually traded for him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what the kid can do, but it, it's kind of like it, it's it's similar to all this other thing. When you put a kid in that situation, and, and really, to me, it's whenever you do something and you're dishonest about it. That's what gets me about the Arizona Cardinals. When you sit there and say, we're cutting Colt McCoy because this is what's best for the team. No, you're cutting Colt McCoy because you want to lose football games. 
and you're afraid that if I throw Colt McCoy out there, he might stumble into a few wins. Now, the question is, if you're the Cardinals... Uh, I really don't think... I think I think he's terrible. Like, we saw Colt play last year. He's not a good quarterback. I truly believe Clayton's the better starter. Now, I, dis- I disagree with the Cardinals that Josh Dobbs is a better backup. I think Colt McCoy is a great guy to hold a clipboard and help a young rookie have success out there. That's what I don't understand, Scott, is... Why are you bringing in Josh Dobbs, who got starts last year? It was fucking garbage. They, he, t- he took a Tennessee team that had a chance to make the playoffs, and he sunk that chance. And here's the question. the over Because right now, they, they put uh, Kyler Murray on the uh, PUP list, right? So not IR, on PUP. So that means he's out through at least the first four games. And then they can activate him after that. And he gets, I think he has three weeks in order to ramp up to play do you play kyler murray this year um but see here's but see here's the dilemma so you're gonna tank right and let's say you get the number one overall pick you you're gonna get houston's pick which is probably gonna be a top 10 selection you trade kyler murray knowing that you're gonna go get caleb williams but you're trading kyler murray after more of a year of football where he hadn't played. Right, but you also are not going to risk injuring him more. Like, people have seen yeah. enough tape on Kyler to know what he is. They're going to – maybe they throw him out in week 17 for a little bit to show that he's healthy, but I wouldn't. Like, I'd That's, bubble wrap that guy. I mean, Deshaun Watson didn't play for a year, and the Texans got two first-round draft picks for him. Yeah, but he wasn't hurt. That's kind of the difference is that you have a guy – so you have a young quarterback – if you could get one first rounder for Kyler, would you do it? Knowing you've got two already in the draft, and you can get Caleb Williams, yeah, just give me a first. If I could get a, if I could get a first, but I don't think I'm, I don't think there's anybody out there considering ah, that yeah, contract. I, oh man, yeah, they would. Because the whole thing is number one, he's a mobile quarterback who's torn an ACL. So it's a quarterback. It's a quarterback driven league, Scott. And there's enough teams out I, there that are not good enough. I mean, look at the multiple teams traded multiple times with first round picks for Carson fucking Wentz. The Colts yeah. gave up a first round pick. The the Washington Redskins gave up a first round pick. Like these teams, I just I'm not seeing it because the th- my problem I I don't see I see team trading for him. I don't see a team trading a one because basically what I'm thinking is is that you're when you're trading for. I mean, I hate to compare him to Wentz because that's a to me Washington trading for Wentz was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. The so was Col- the Colts, but they did well, it too. Well, the Colts I could get because the Colts I could sit there and I could I could back my way into that. I could sit there and say, okay, Frank Reich was the guy that got him playing at an almost MVP level. Okay, I could see you know where something like that works, but see the Carson Wentz. The similarity here is that his numbers weren't terrible as a Colt. If you go back and look at his numbers, they're not bad. But the problem is behind the scenes, he's just horrible for a, you know, for a, you know, a locker room. I see Kyler Murray the same way. I mean, they're, they're the ones that are trying to put a clause into his contract to require him to study. You know, why are we doing that? You know, because he's a guy that can't do it. Now, to me, a Trey Lance, I'd rather take a chance on a Trey Lance than a Kyler Murray because 
you know, let's say Kyler Murray is 100% of what he was. What is he? You know, when you consider everything. I mean, he's a 4,000-yard passer, a six or 700-yard rusher. He's an elite playmaker. And maybe with the right coach, with the right motivation, he could be the right guy. I don't know. But you're telling me, um, I, I don't know, there's teams out there that, you know, the Seahawks, for example, right? Like, uh, man. Like, you uh, you get him in a Pete Carroll system that likes to run the ball, that, you know, you've got a, an aging guy in Geno. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm not saying that's exactly who, but – or someone like the, the Lions where – Maybe maybe Goff just isn't the guy, and you have a, a, a great cast around him, and you're a quarterback away. You have to see how this year plays out, but I guarantee you there's going to be two or three teams that are just that one quarterback away, and it's a lot. And then they think the path is a lot faster if they trade for a guy who's ready to roll versus drafting a first-round quarterback and hoping they hit. I might, you know what Kyler is. You know what Kyler Murray is. I might Can roll the dice. I might roll the dice and play him. <laughs> because I don't think the the Cardinals are going to win games with them. But if you least... why risk hurting them? If you know you can't win with them and you could possibly get hurt again because your offensive line is absolute fucking dog shit, why would you want to put them behind that? And even if you get a second, not a first, if he gets hurt again, it's not worth that. You're still yeah. taking Caleb. Will- You're still taking Caleb Williams at one one. At, at that point, get what you can get for Kyler Murray and, and surround your young rookie with the best weapons that you can find. But Kyler's done in Arizona. I think Arizona's made it very clear they want that first overall pick, and they want and then they want Caleb Williams. Well, and the problem with tanking, as we saw with the Texans, is that the tank the Texans tried it, and they couldn't get the number one overall pick because there are going to be other bad teams out there. You know, to me, you can't tell me that Tampa Bay is not a dumpster fire. Uh, I mean, hey Baker, you never know. You never know. I'm yeah, kidding. I'm I mean, really kidding. Washington- Did you see the pictures of the stadium differences? They already took down like an extra ten thousand seats that they had to put up when Brady came to town, and now they took them back down and turned it into concession area because they're not selling the same level of tickets they were with Brady in town. Yeah, Washington, I think, is going to be a dumpster fire. I'm um, intrigued by Sam Howell. I, I'd like to see what Sam Howell does. I actually. I uh, just had my fantasy draft tonight, and I, I picked up uh, Terry McLaren simply because I think Sam Howell uh, is 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 better than advertised. So we'll see there. Colts, um, the Colts. Uh, now that they put Jonathan Taylor on the on the pup list, and probably will deal him, you know, at some point this season, and he'll never play as a Colt again. They might get the first overall pick, and of course, if they're committed to Anthony Richardson. They're in that Bears position where they can sit there and say, "All right, who wants you know? Who wants our guy? You know." And, and that's where the Cardinals have an advantage too, right? Having the Texans pick, they can say, "Hey, we're number two. We'll give you this pick and the Texans pick. We want Caleb." And then, yeah. hey, we're going to trade Kyler to get some some back of what we got. You never know, but you know that's that's where we're at. But before we wrap it out, Scott, um, you know we are. We're named a golf podcast. We try and get out and play as much as we can. I had, I want to add another scumbag because I had an incident on the golf course this week. We have my normal foursome, right? I have the group of guys I normally play with. And uh, unfortunately, one of them had his wife's birthday. And so I got my dad to fill in. Well, then another guy, hey, it's my fantasy draft. I can't make it. So I invite a guy who is not normally who we play with. 
Um, I know he's a Trumper, but normally he keeps his mouth shut. So I'm like, okay, you know, he's he's a nice, he tries. He's been really trying to be our friend. And honestly, my friend Roger and I felt like the cast of Mean Girls as we're trying to avoid this guy because he wants to be our friend and we don't want to be his friend. And then we're like, who are we to like not be friends? We're not exactly popular. Like, why are we turning this guy away? So I said, okay, I'll give him the invite. And for 15 holes, or for 14 holes, things are great. He's shutting up. We're having a good time. I'm playing great golf. I'm one under through 14. Well, then we get to the 15th hole, and I'm, I'm lining up a, a pretty big par putt that I need to make. And right before I go to hit it, uh, you know, something's being said. And I hear, yeah, well, it's better than the pedophile who's in office right now. And I'm just like, oh, God. Hmm. No. And then uh, so Roger goes, uh, well, just so you know, the, the guy that you like actually uh, was convicted of sexual assault and tried to overthrow the government. So there's that. And then this guy, Cam, responds with, well, that's better than just bending over to China and Ukraine. And it's just like the, the mood of the round fucking changed. Right then and there, the mood of the round changed. And I go to shoot three over the last whatever holes and end up shooting 74 instead of 71 and go from one under par to three over. All because this guy had to go and be a fucking ass Trump hole and couldn't just enjoy a nice round of golf, Scott. It's, uh, they're out there. They're still lurking out there. And they're, they're trying to ruin our Sunday rounds. All right, so I got to tell you this story, and I got to you know follow this. Do you remember your confirmation? I do. So uh, Anne had her confirmation this weekend, okay. and so we're bringing in the bishop, who a retired bishop from Corpus Christi. He's eighty nine years old. So we we go through. They do the confirmation in the homily portion of the mass. We finish that. We're going to the consecration. And the bishop passes out on the altar. So our parish priest comes in, finishes the, the finishes the consecration. Did they get the guy out of there though? No, first, hold on, hold on, but I, I'm, I'm not okay, done. Okay, I'm not done. Okay. So um, people are attending to him behind the altar, and that's when, after finishing the consecration, that's when our priest says, "You know," and this is clear, like. Are there any doctors in the house? So you got like 12 people, just, you know, rushing up to the altar, right? I mean, my dad's old cardiologist is sitting right behind us. So, I mean, he's like, boom, he's on the altar. Then we're giving him last rites. And during the confirmation mass, it during the confirmation mass, consecration, you're giving the fucking bishop last rites? To give him last rites. Oh my God. So my daughter's like, she's like, remember Barzilla. So she's like sitting on the front row. I mean, she's like the first oh one to convert. And she's saying, she did a beautiful job. She sang the responsorial song. She did a beautiful job. So here, but, no, but I, it, it has a, it has a good ending, right? Oh, so the okay. paramedics, you hear the paramedics coming in, right? And so we're finishing the mass because that's actually part of it. I mean, you finish the mass. And so they finished the mass and actually the guy is up and walking around by the end of the evening. So as it turns out, he, he was dehydrated. He hadn't eaten and you know, the church was a little warm. So you can imagine, you know, putting on the full robe. I mean, he's just not, yeah. you know, and he's 89 years old. I mean, he's not. And at St. B's, there's that, that 
window in the oh, skylight, this is, right? So well, no, this is Saint, this is Saint Clair's. So, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, you, you can you know you can imagine where you know. So, it just that was an unbelievable weekend, and so the next day, we were supposed to do like coffee and donuts. And so I'm going up there the next day after this night and I'm like, I just don't want to do this. And, and, and so we get up and we're doing coffee and donuts and afterwards there's a couple of guys and they're talking like, well, they actually found, you know, stolen ballots and, and Pennsylvania. And I'm like, Oh, come on, get out of, I, you know, get me out of here, please. Just because one of them's on the council. He's like a new oh, member God. on the council. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, because you know here here's the deal folks one of the two people if we're going to assume that he's one of he's one of the two people on the ballot you know one of the two people talked about wanting to have sex with his daughter it wasn't biden one of them had an opportunity to you know challenge everything in court did and took an offer. I think it was over sixty plus. Yeah, if I, you know, with his own appointed justice, like his own yeah. court appointment. So here's the deal: you don't like Biden. I I get it. You know, and I had a guy, and I I just about came with an air air, you know, just close of quitting Twitter when he had this guy. Well, tell me one good thing that Biden's done. And says, you know what? I'm not going to, because I'm not, you know, you're not going to see it as good. So why am I wasting my time? And then talking about the fact that, you know, two-tier justice system, why isn't it Hunter in jail? I'm like, prove it. Give me proof. Crickets. You can't, you know, you can't prove anything. And it's like, you know, in, in the flat out, and I just told him, I said, you know what? If you can prove that Hunter Biden did something, throw him in jail. I don't care. I don't I really care. Don't. We do have a two-tier justice system, and it's rich versus poor. It has nothing to do with left or right. It is, if you're rich, you'll probably be could okay. You, well, could you imagine any other, any one of us who, number one, is indicted, and up until Georgia, never has to pay bail, you know, and number two, you know, is told, don't talk about this, and then threatens the judge threatens the lawyers threatens the jury threatens witnesses i mean we're doing we're we're, we're tampering right out in front of i mean god I everybody mean, there's only one other person that's been at this level and it was alex jones in the sandy hook cases like i have not seen any level of malfeasance in the court system at this level other than alex jones and he lost a billion fucking dollars so I mean, I think any reasonable person knows Trump's not in good shape. Um, I will say real quick, though, before we get out of here. Did you see the the, the Twitter thread of because obviously Trump had, you know, say his height and weight when he checked into prison and he claimed to be six foot three, 215 pounds. And then this is why I haven't left Twitter yet, Scott, because the amount of posts showing athletes who were, in fact, Six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds, like put next to Trump was fantastic. But then you see the dumb fucking MAGA idiots who are like muscle weighs more than fat. He could still be two fifteen. Just like you fucking idiots. You're just like you literally will suckle at the teat for anything he says. I mean, 
I, and, and again, since we are a golf podcast, I'm going to bring it up. He claims that he won his club championship, his, uh, club championship, which whatever, even if he did. But then he puts the fucking assistant pro's cell phone number on Truth Social for anyone who doubts him. Call this guy. And he'll verify. Could you imagine the amount of calls that guy got? That had nothing to do with golf. That were just basically like "fuck you" for playing golf with Donald Trump. Like his phone, ha- he's got to change his number all because Trump was like, "You want to verify my round? Call this guy. I'm the best. He's the best." Oh, my favorite, my favorite um, X Twitter, whatever, was not the pictures of the the Svelte athletes. It was a picture of a scale that said two fifteen, and in Sharpie, somebody wrote in three fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. Uh, which, obviously, for those of y'all who don't know the joke, uh, remember that you know that Trump, you know, incorrectly said that um, a hurricane was going to hit Georgia when it was never going to hit Georgia, and so he draws the map, you know, on, on Sharpie to show, like, okay, no, actually, it was going to hit Georgia. <laughs> it's like, God, but okay. All right, so we, we've kind of we've kind of run that one into the ground a little bit there. Um, so, Tim, where can the folks find you? You can find me on Twitter, Tim underscore Costello ten. Uh, you can find me on Threads if that's if that's still going. I gotta check that. I gotta check Threads. I haven't been on it like two months, but uh, you can also find uh, the podcast. Uh, search for the Snaphook Podcast on Facebook. Uh, and you can find us there. Scott, what about you? Uh, I am actually excited to announce that in addition to um, Battle Red blog and you know my Substack, I've added the podcast with Tim's help to my Substack. And I was actually you know pretty you know thrilled because they um, in addition to you know you can click on the podcast button and you could download the episode, but also there is a screen where it basically lists everything in chronological order. And so it puts it in there with the descriptions, you know, from the site. So you can not only see like all the episodes, but you can, you know, go to past episodes, catch up with, you know, what we're doing and you can look at them. You know, Tim wrote the descriptions for each one of the, uh, the episodes that we've done. And so you can look at those descriptions on my Substack. So for those few of y'all that don't have Apple podcast or Spotify, you can now go to Substack and you can listen in for free, you know, to the show. So, you know, definitely, you know, give it, you know, give that a whirl. Uh, I'm publishing Substacks pretty much every day during the week. So, you know, try to do the update that daily. Uh, and then of course, you know, with the Texan season the beginning, you know, that's going to ramp up too. All right, Scott. Well, I think that's going to do it here for us. Another week, uh, another great episode. I hope the Snaphook listeners enjoy it. A lot of Astros baseball left as we got one month coming down the stretch. This is this is why we're fans for this September baseball. Uh, everything everything in in the air and flux. Um, three teams with the game of the division. I mean, at the end of the day, as a baseball fan, what more can you ask for? I, I think this is. This is why we all are baseball fans. This is why I've got the collection of memorabilia I do behind me is for moments like this. So uh, take it in, Astros fans. Enjoy it. Um, and, and I'd like to, you know, extend an invitation to any of our Snapbook listeners. 
Uh, I, I'm starting to expand my teaching on, on, on the golf side of things. If you're looking for any kind of swing analysis, things like that, send it to, send it to us on the Facebook page. Uh, I would love to, to give you a free, free swing analysis, break down what you're doing, uh, and try and help to get you playing some better golf the same way I've done with, uh, with Scott and, and uh, so many other kids in the First Tee program. Absolutely, and and uh, I echo what she said about you know the Astros. And right now, the the season ends today. All three teams in EAL West are in the playoffs. So uh, this is just going to be a fun month. Um, echo what Tim, you know, the advice on equipment was invaluable. So definitely uh, shoot something his way uh, if you're looking to start the game or if you're looking to take your game up a notch. Well, as always, it has been a pleasure, and we want to thank everyone for making us a part of their week. We will be back at our same normal bat time, same bat channel next week, hopefully, uh, as we appreciate everyone bearing with us and waiting that one extra day for the episode to drop. But we appreciate everybody who joined us tonight, and we will see you next time on The Snap Hook. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.